are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And it is 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And you can find it in the Bibles in, on page 1210. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Well, it was uh, about a year ago, Amelia and I were running 30 minutes late to the event, but when we showed up, an official met us outside, let us in, pushed the crowds out of the way, and escorted us down to our seats front row center for this ceremony. Not because we were important, but it was the first annual Don Schultz Marketing Excellence Award ceremony at Northwestern University. My dad had been a professor there for, uh, oh, probably about 40 years and actually became quite well-known in his field. And in honor of his service, the university and some others created a, a small uh, foundation to be able to have grants to recognize excellence in the field of marketing. Now, I was there not because I'm important, not because I was significant, but because I was the son of the person who was being honored there. No one was impressed with Jeff Schultz. No one was there to applaud me or recognize me. But when they said, oh, you're the son of Don Schultz. Oh, let us make sure you have the seat of honor and let us make sure you are recognized and you are applauded and we make way for you because of Don. Now, when we think of you know, life, what, what the good life would be like. We tend to think of things like power, the freedom to go and do where we need to be, the, the ability to get where we need to be and to make life work in the right way. And we think of recognition, of being welcomed, of being applauded, of being acclaimed, of being loved. And maybe you haven't thought of it this way before, but, you know, when we imagine, boy, the good life would be If I could go where I needed or wanted to be, and if I could be loved and welcomed and applauded and acclaimed, that's life. Now, this idea of life, of having true life, of having power and welcome and recognition is central to John's first letter. If you haven't turned there already, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the first letter of John, almost all the way to the back of the Bible, if you're using the one in front of you. Uh, It's on page 1210 of these uh, black Bibles under the seats. This idea of having, of knowing life is central to John's first letter. It's there right in the opening, if you heard it. 
that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon concerning the word of life. Oh, light too. Light is important in John's letter. We're going to hear that too. The, the word of life, that word, that life was made manifest. It was embodied. It, it came to us. And we've seen it. We testify to you and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which we have seen. John says it's possible to not only know that life, not only to experience it, but to actually share in it, to participate in it. That's what he goes on to say in verse 3. That life, that life which we saw and heard and proclaimed to you, is so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you hear what John is saying there? Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. And that little Greek word that's used there is one that maybe you're familiar with. It's koinonia. That's sometimes translated as fellowship or sharing. It means to share something in common, to have something together in koine. And I think John's big point that we want to look at today and as we start this new series in 1 John is that children of God share in God's life. And children of God share in God's life. More than any other New Testament letter, John in this first letter talks about believers as children of God, often with affection and tenderness and care. And coming out of Easter, then, we're going to be starting this short series in the book of 1 John. Because if we have come to know and share in Jesus' life, in the new life that he offers us, what does that look like? How do we live as children of God in this world? That's what we want to explore starting today, just in these first four verses of John's gospel. But, but we're going to look at some other passages, too, because... Rather than a sequential study through the book, this is what we're going to call a thematic series. Because John's epistle reads less like a, a typical New Testament letter, and it feels really almost more like a, a musical composition. John introduces a theme, and, and then he develops it, and, and then he shifts to a totally different idea. But then, but then he picks that theme up again, and, and, he, and he explores it and looks at it from a different angle. And, and then he puts that aside, and then he brings in another idea to see how it connects with that, that first idea and what the development of that looks like. And, and so we're going to go through 1 John, uh, not line by line, but really by major ideas or themes. And what we want to focus on today is this, that children of God share in God's life. That's what it means to be a child of God. And from these opening verses, there are two things that I want us to get. The importance of sharing in God's life and the nature of sharing in God's life. The importance of it and, and secondly, something about what it means to share in God's life and, and what it means for us. So, first of all, the importance of sharing in God's life. John says, again, in verse 1, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked on, what we have touched, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and therefore with the Father and the Son. 
And, and when John says that us in, at the end of verse 3, maybe some of your translations have uh, maybe fellowship with you and make, make your joy complete in verse 4. The, the us there, I don't think John is not talking about the editorial we. You know, like you, you read in, in writers sometimes, oh, we went to the store today. That's not what John's talking about. And I think he's really talking about the disciples, the apostles, the personal associates of Jesus. We saw him, John says. And we saw this person who is life, who is the word of life. In John's gospel in chapter 17, Jesus says about himself, praying to the Father, this is Life. This is eternal life to know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is the essence of life that you were made for, made to experience. It's what it means to be a Christian. And, and these themes are so significant and important to John that it's one that he introduces here, but he picks up again and again. For example, if you go forward to Chapter 4, just turn over a page to chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested, was demonstrated among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. Why? That we might live through him. And again, in chapter 5, verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Now, we all obviously have a kind of a physical life, but that's clearly not what John is talking about here. He's saying in the context of the ordinary, everyday lives that we all experience, God steps into our lives to offer us real life. In his son. And, and John says, listen, I, I, I know that, that maybe it's not the kind of thing we normally hear. It, it's not what you read in the news. It, it's not the kind of thing people talk about in their day-to-day -day lives. And, and he says back in chapter 1 again, we heard him. We saw him with our eyes. We looked upon him. We touched him with our hands. Do, do, do you get the significance of this? He's saying Jesus is not just an idea. He's not a philosophy. And, and he's also probably highlighting or under trying to undermine this idea. You know, Jesus' resurrection was not just in spirit only. You know, like sometimes you see graffiti on walls. Elvis lives. That's what John is saying. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. He, he actually was born and lived and died and lived again, and we saw it. I saw the wounds. I, I felt him. He, he cooked that fish for us on the beach after he was risen from the dead. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, really lives. And John says, there is an objective reality that we are bearing testimony to. And then he says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we are proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with 
the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So do you see what John's getting at there? That that he's saying it's important that we understand there's an objective reality of factual truthfulness to the gospel, but I'm telling you that so that you may have fellowship, you may share in the life of Jesus by believing in him. I don't want you to just have a mental agreement with the truth that Jesus lived and died and rose again. I want you to share in the life that I have with the Father and that we have commonly together. That's the purpose, John says, of everything that Jesus did and said and came to be about so that we would share in that life. He he returns to this theme again in in chapter 3 and verse 14. Again, if you turn over a page. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love each other. And again, in chapter 5, everyone, in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Now already we get hints that we're going to explore more in this series that sharing in Jesus' life is more than just believing certain things about Him. Did you catch that? We know that we have life, not just because we believe the truth about Jesus, but because we love one another. Everyone who believes in Jesus has been born of God and loves everyone else who has been born by him. So what that means is not just belief in God, not just accepting that the facts of Jesus' life are true, but believing them and appropriating them in a way that changes us, that does something to us, that that we actually experience life with God. Everything that Jesus did was so that you could know his life. John is saying that the very aim of the gospel, of his proclamation, is so that you can share in Jesus himself. That in fact, that kind of relationship is what life is. That's what life is. It's what you were made for. In other words, if if you don't know Jesus in that way, if you haven't experienced life with him, you haven't even begun to live. You don't even know what life is because this is life to, to know God. So what John is saying is so important. You in God have a life that is beyond anything, the most successful, the most wealthy, the most famous, the most important, the smartest person can have any access to. Because you experience the life, the power, the freedom of God in you that you were made for. And in Christ, you know the love, the welcome, the applause, the delight of God in you because of Jesus. You don't just have to 
be convinced that the facts of Jesus and the gospel are true, but you also have to make it personal. It has to be real for you because God wants you to have his life in you. Before we move on and talk about what that is, that's why we want to highlight the importance of this life. This is the greatest thing that you can have or know or experience. This is life, to know Jesus. That's what it means to, to be a Christian, to be alive. Yes, we believe in orthodox creeds and doctrine matters, and, and we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for my sins and that he rose again. But it's possible to have an intellectual awareness of that only. And John is telling us the truth has to get beneath our heads and into our hearts and do something in us so that we would have life for us to be born again. The whole purpose of Jesus coming is to give you life. Do you have it? Do you know that? What is the nature of that life? Maybe that's what we need to know to answer that question. Fellowship, to share, means literally, to again, to have in common. So we share in the life of the Father with Christ by the Spirit. We hold things in common. What, what do we share in common? What, what, what would it mean to have a life in common with Jesus? Some of the old writers, uh, Christians from centuries past, talked about sharing in Jesus this way. We share in his life, we share in his interests, and we share in communication with him. Because it's just like any relationship. We, we share in the same life. We share in the very life of Jesus himself, which is amazing to say that we would actually be related, connected to the life of God in some way, more than just knowing things about him. Peter writes in his second letter this way, that, that you might be partakers of the divine nature. Or as the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians, it's no longer I, Paul, who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So what Jesus talks about in his conversation with Nicodemus about being born again by the Spirit, that God's life comes to live in us. That's, again, what John is getting at at the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1. Do you, do you see the love that the Father has for us? That we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. Not just something we believe about ourselves, it's something that is actually true. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, this does not mean, you know, like some people might think that we mystically become God himself. We don't become part of the Trinity. We don't become divine beings in our own right. But, you know, we could think of it this way. Our, our parents passed on a lot of things to us, right? One of my daughters, for example, unfortunately got my eyesight. So uh, she's complained about that ever since she's had to wear glasses in grade school. We have aspects of our, our parents' temperaments and mannerisms. We, we pass things on to our children. It doesn't mean they aren't their own persons. They're still them. We're still us. 
But the Bible says the very life of God comes into us and, and we share it. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be unpacking with John some of what that means, how we live in God's love, how we walk in his life, how we, how we hold fast to the confession of faith that we've been given, how we stand out from the world. But what John wants us to understand is that what Jesus intends is that we would actually reflect what he is like because we are his children. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He will make the feeblest and filthy of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures pulsating through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Reflecting back to God, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness, that is what we are in for. That's what it means to share in God's life. We are being transformed to be like Jesus. But we also share in his interests. That's one of the ways that we're being transformed into his likeness. It, it means that we're shaped by his mind and by his heart through prayer and learning scripture, yes, but ultimately that, that our thinking, our perceiving, our desires are changed. We begin to see things differently. Jesus' priorities start to become our priorities because we start more and more to see life through him. You know, one of the interesting things about marriage or a close friendship, or maybe if you have a close sibling, is there's obviously differences between you and that other person, of course. But if you've grown close over a long period of time, you often find that when you're away from one another and you see or experience something, do you ever notice you automatically know what that other person would think? You have your own thought, but you also know oh man, if he saw this, that's exactly what he would think. Or man, I know just what she would say about that or, or how they would react to the thing that I'm experiencing. Not only do you have your own view and your own responses, but you know what they would say because you've learned to look at life through their eyes. I wasn't here last week, many of you know, uh, because my brother Brad uh, to whom I've been close my entire life, is now in the end stages of his battle with cancer. And I appreciate everyone's prayers and support and concern. And, and for those of you who have lost someone close to you, you know, especially if it's an anticipated death, there's almost a, a preparatory grief that you go through. I just caught myself yesterday hearing something and thinking, oh, I'd love to call my brother and laugh with him about that. But he's not even in a condition where he could do that anymore. Those of you who've had a marriage or a friendship or a sibling relationship like that, that's what it is to, to share interest together, to see life through another's eyes. And, and, and the dynamic, of course, is so much more profound when it comes to a relationship with God. Right? The, the, the things that you knew were wrong before that you know maybe you had some hesitation about, now you see them from God's perspective and you can see the depth and the ugliness of it. The things that, that made you sad before, now because your heart beats with the same compassion as God's, now they deeply distress you. 
you begin to love the things that God loves and, and to hate the things that God hates because of what it does to people that he loves. And everywhere you look, you see what God sees, light and darkness and sin and grace and redemption and, and this grand story of, of everything in the world through the lens of what God is like and what he values. In other words, one of the great things about being a Christian, about having fellowship with communion with God's interests is that we have more joy than anyone else because our joys are doubled. Now we, we have the joy not only of experiencing it ourselves, but the greater joy of the delight and the beauty and goodness that God rejoices in himself when things really are the way they ought to be. We also have more sorrow than anyone else because we have every sadness twice. Every story is two stories. Every song is two songs. You share in God's interest. You, you, you watch movies and you can hear echoes of the gospel in it. And, and, and you see the movie for what it is itself. The Lion King is a great story about you know, this young lion cub. But it, you also hear a story about the king who's wrongly killed and sacrificed. And, and the, the son who's rejected by his own people. But the, the hope that when the king returns, things will be right again. And, and you start to look at life that way. You start to look at your work and your neighborhood and your community and, and the things going on around you uh, from God's purposes and God's values and God's heart and God's compassion. And, and, and you look at things going on in the world, not just for what it means for my wallet or for my freedom, but whether they reflect what God cares about. Does this help us love our neighbors? Does, does it bless them in the way that God wants to bless them? You see that everywhere now because you share in God's interests. And ultimately, we share in communication with God. You know that you have fellowship with somebody if there's an interchange of ideas and, and feelings. And, and again, it's hard not to use the analogy of marriage, you know, or really any kind of close relationship. When you're married, as long as you're married, that legal status doesn't change. But let me tell you from my own experience of 31 years, it definitely goes up and down, right? There are times when I'm still legally married and we don't like each other a lot or we feel wonderful intimacy and closeness and you think, oh my gosh, there's no love like this we've ever experienced. And then other times where you just it's just sort of mundane, and other times where you're just like, who is this person, and how did I marry them, or, and they're feeling the same thing about you. That's what it means to have fellowship with God. You go up and down in your relationship, your status, your relationship with him never changes, but the more you walk with him, you, you pour out to him, and he pours out to you in, in this tremendous intimacy and closeness of relationship. I mean, one, one example, do you ever get frustrated by, you know, the articles and the interviews that ask the question, does prayer work? I mean, the, the reason you spend time with somebody you love is because you love them, not because you're trying to get something out of them. There's a big difference between having breakfast with a friend and having breakfast with a business colleague, right? I mean, if you're going to a meeting, you want to know why are we here, how long is this going to last, and what am I going to get out of it? You don't have a business breakfast unless there's something that you're going to accomplish. And, and a person without any fellowship with God, that's how we look at communion, fellowship, prayer with God, right? Does it work? I'm praying. 
Here's my list. Get to it. Am I getting anything out of it? But when we have fellowship with God, often we pray just to spend time with him. That's what it's like when you get together with a friend. If, you're, if your friend goes to breakfast with you and they feel like your agenda is to get something out of this, you know, by 8.30 so I can get on to the next thing, I mean, that's not much fellowship. The reason you meet a friend for breakfast or lunch is to connect, to share what's going on in your lives, to pour out your hearts to one another. Christian prayer is fellowship with God. You're happy to praise Him and thank Him and pour your heart out to Him and tell Him what's going on. And Is that how you pray? Not all the time. And there's nothing wrong with having a list. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having the list or the checkboxes or the things that I want to remember to be praying for. Of course. But do I also pray just to spend time with God? Because I want Him. And I know He, he wants to hear from me, and I know He cares about what's going on in my life. I, I share in His life, I share in His interests, and I, and I share in communion with Him. John says, this is for everybody. Did you get that in verse 4? We are writing these things so that our joy, or maybe in your translation, it might say your joy. There's a small manuscript difference in, in some variants. But I, I, think, I think our joy is probably correct. Because John is not just saying our joy in terms of not the editorial we again, or, or not even just the company of the apostles, but you, me, the people he's writing to, everyone reading this letter. This is not for advanced Christians. This is for Christians, this is for anybody. I want our joy collectively to grow, to, to be as full as it possibly can, because I want you to have that experience that I've had of God's life and God's joy. And one of the ways that you can tell if you do know God and have had experience of his life is if you want to draw others into it is if you want others to share it with you. That's what John is saying. My joy will only be complete as your joy grows. I want our joy to be complete together, and mine can't be complete unless you also know and are sharing and experiencing this life of Jesus. It flies in the face of a lot of popular ideas. I mean, John says one of the ways that you know that you know Jesus is you can't wait to bring other people into that experience. And in our world, of course, that's, you know, you, you can't tell people that their experience of God is insufficient or wrong or, you know, there might be more something to it because it's all private and individual. And John is saying, no, there's an actual basis for objective truth that God wants everyone to know and he wants everyone to experience it. Because, it, you know, it... For example, if my mom, towards the last couple of decades of her life, was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, if I had found a cure for arthritis, what do you think I would do with that? Well, you know, it's, it's a private thing. It's really just about her, and I don't know if it would work for anyone else. You, you probably wouldn't even be interested in it. No, you'd, you'd, you'd go up on the rooftop and shout it out to everyone. You'd want everyone to experience it. Anybody who's really come to experience God's life, you realize this is not like, you know, enjoying a certain hobby or a particular sport or, you know, my wife and I are fans of Weird Al Yankovic music. I know that, you know, that's, that's a small slice of people that are going to actually care about that. 
Anyone that has gotten into a relationship with Jesus knows it's not like that. You don't say, well, you know, I enjoy this, but I, I understand this is not for most people. No, when you get to know God, when you experience him, when, when you share in his life and his beauty and his goodness and his joy, you know that it's reality. You know that it's life. And you want others to share in it. That's what Jesus has come for, to bring us into his life and his joy. Everything that Jesus has done and said and, and inspired John to write and communicates to you and to me is for the purpose that you can know him you can have life in him, that you can have confidence and joy in him and share in his life. He came to make you a child of the Father in heaven, that you would share in that life. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Father, for giving us what we need more than anything else. Life itself. This is life to know you and the one whom you have sent, Jesus. And Father, I, I pray that you would just grab our hearts again if we already know you with the joy of your life in us that you would love us in this way. And the Father, especially if there are any hearing my voice any hearing this who don't know you that way, who don't have that confidence, oh, that today would be the day that they would say, I want the life that Jesus offers. Thank you, Jesus, that you have sent your son so that we can have life in knowing him and share in every good and glorious and beautiful and joyful thing that you are and that you intend for us. Oh, thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.